Today is Monday, October 2nd, 2023. This is Quick Start from CBN News. I'm Dan Andros. Who's going to take the next COVID vaccine? A new survey has the answer. We'll have that top story and more on today's podcast, where we bring you news from a Christian perspective. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating. You can email us as well, quickstartpodcast at cbn.org. We'd love to hear from you. We're getting through the news of the cray together. Joining me now, as always, on a Monday, Billy Hallowell. What's going on, Billy? Happy Monday. Yeah, happy Monday. Happy Monday. The news of the cray every day here on the show. What's your, in- what's your interest level on Taylor Swift's dating life? Um, if you could go lower than 0%, <laughs> I would be there. I'm trying to watch an NFL game last night, and you can't escape it. You just can't escape it. It's a funny dilemma the NFL's in because I don't think they want to focus on this, but they have to because they know how many people are interested in Taylor Swift, and so they just keep showing her at these games. And uh, now, so now I know all about uh, Taylor Swift's dating life, and I, I really don't want to. I'm, I'm with you. I'm lower than zero. There are more important things going on. Uh, in yeah. the world that well, we could and, be focusing on here. And also, I, I mean, you know, I've said this offline, but you're probably going to get me in trouble here. I mean, the, just <laughs> I feel like it's all an attention thing. Like, why yeah. is this even happening? Why does she need to be the center of attention at these games? Like, go and hide out in a corner and watch the game quietly without your facial expressions. It's just too much. I right. can't. Right. It is. And we, all, I mean, we all know this is going to end at some point and uh, end. In with a hit song, fashion. with a hit song, <laughs> exactly. So it's all inevitable, but there are serious things going on. I mean, you have something coming up on the focus story that's very troubling uh, on a Ugandan teenager. Yeah, th- this is a, a really horrible story. Um, a teenager who was basically locked up after converting to Christianity and deprived of food. We'll get into all the details on that. Yeah, and is Amazon getting too big? The FTC thinks so. Madison Seals will have more on that. But first, we are going to go ahead and get through the news here in 90 seconds. And among U.S. adults, 52% are saying they'll probably or definitely not get the new vaccine, according to uh, a recent survey by the Kaiser Family Foundation. About 23% say they will plan to get it, while another 23% say they may get it. Among those who said they'll definitely or probably get the new shot, most are Democrats and at least 65 years old. Bill Maher is calling on Joe Biden to drop out of the 2024 presidential race. He is the latest who is calling into question or outright calling on the 80-year-old Joe Biden to not run. He made a comparison to the late Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who as a progressive Bill Maher wanted to step down so uh, that you could get another uh, liberal justice replaced uh, ahead of the Trump administration. But what ended up happening was she passed away and uh, during the Trump administration and he was able to uh, replace that seat. And Hebrew University of Jerusalem archaeologists have found an ancient inscription on the Judean desert, paraphrasing Psalm 86, 1, 2. Very cool stuff there. You can check out those top headlines or and more over at CBNnews.com. Billy, the vaccine, moods may be shifting here on this. I mean, if you remember, it wasn't too long ago that we were 
seeing late night hosts do songs about the vaccine and encouraging everyone to get it. And it's not such a popular thing right now, as you can see by these numbers. Yeah, well, and I think COVID has shifted, right? You know, you're not dealing with the Delta variant right. anymore where everyone's terrified. You're dealing with something that it can be serious for people with underlying conditions and and whatnot. But but I think people are feeling very differently about the shot now that time has passed and maybe it hasn't delivered some of what was initially promised, right? That we won't pass it on, that it will stop COVID from spreading. I think we've realized now that you know, it's, it's endemic. It's not going away. It's just going to be a part of our lives. And so people are thinking, well, why am I going to run out and get this shot that isn't necessarily doing what they said it would do? Well, yeah, that's, that is one of the big issues is the main pitch in getting it was to stop the spread. It was the convenient slogan that was going around at the time. And then we learn later that it doesn't actually stop the thread. Really the only benefit you get apparently seems to be minimizing some effects if you are in high-risk areas. And so when you have the whole narrative of just take this and it'll go away, and then that goes away, that's not actually happening. It really takes away a lot of the incentive. And I think people, you see people with the boosters. It's just uh, not happening on a level as it was the initial vaccine because people really did think they were going to go ahead and stop this spread. I mean, if you remember right, it was the vax. It was the pandemic of the unvaccinated, and that is right. that is what it was labeled by the president of the United States by Joe Biden, and now we know that that's not the case. And so I I don't it we don't really know the underlying numbers on this. Like, are people actually really upset about this that they were essentially lied to, or if it wasn't an outright lie, it was definitely just a misinformation. Ironically. As you were, yeah. you were called, you were called out, and a lot of times banned from certain platforms if you dared to go against the CDC. So we'll we'll see these definitely interesting numbers, and it does break along party lines. Well, and also you were mandated. Let's not forget that too. So yeah. when people are put in a position, I know a lot of people who said, you know, I didn't really want to do it, but I did it because I, I needed to keep my, job, keep my job, right? And so with that gone now, mostly most people aren't mandating that. I think that takes away some of that pressure. And again, that fear initially of COVID, I think has dissipated because we've gotten used to it and it's not doing what it was initially doing in terms of the numbers and deaths and all of that. So yeah. it just, it, it becomes kind of like, why am I going out and taking this thing that by the way, I think the biggest concern I have is, and this is a whole other conversation, but it's worth mentioning, there's really not a lot of oversight on yeah. this vaccine, right? They're just churning them out and people are taking them and who's making money. I mean, there's so many questions I have about all of that. Too. Right. Yeah. And then, of course, we know about myocarditis. That's a real thing. And then when you see high profile young people like Tamar Hamlin, like Bronnie James, and many, many more having issues at such a young age in peak physical condition, it's just making people ask questions. They're really just wondering what is the deal with this? And we don't have concrete answers for that. And I'm, and I'm sure that makes a lot of people uh, very, very nervous. So we'll, we'll continue to keep an eye on that as well, because it is interesting to see the shift uh, in the dynamic and how people are viewing the latest vaccine. All right, we're going to head to the focus story now. A Ugandan teenager was reportedly locked up for months by his own family members after converting to Christianity. Whoa, what's the story here? 
Yeah, this is just a horrific story. A 17-year-old was found in what was said to be a dilapidated state. Uh, This is according to a pastor who reportedly discovered the teen's detention earlier this uh, earlier last month. It was September 15th. This pastor was on a visit to this particular family home. It was a Muslim family out in Uganda. And this unnamed teenager apparently, as you said, shut in the house for four months after the father found out that he had accepted Christ. And this is all according to Morningstar News. They monitor persecution and they have a lot of these stories that really just rock me to my core when I read them. Uh, But according to this pastor, His son was attending a boarding school there in Uganda, and a teacher at the school apparently called the parents to report that this that this young man had converted to Christianity. And that's when the kid went home to visit his family. He ends up getting locked up inside the home. And it's so crazy because these four months go by. He's not being fed. And it turns out this pastor and this ministry team they went to the home, you know, they, they like to go door to door and share their faith and they weren't allowed on the property. And so they ended up returning to the home. They didn't know the kid was there and the father did let them in and they started smelling something horrible inside the home. Mm. And that's when they ended up, there were a, a bunch of these people in the ministry group. They ended up actually finding this kid in the house and they, they said they forcibly entered this inner room where that smell was coming from. And they found the kid in this dilapidated state they then, you know, took him to the hospital. Um, and again, you know, the, half of the ministry team stayed behind to find out what happened. And the family apparently said, you know, look, he became a Christian. It was embarrassing. And so we took action against him and locked him up. And, you know, really just a, a horrific situation. Yeah, it really is. Wow. And what happened with the father afterward that was so surprising? Yeah. And so as as this pastor sharing the story, he said the mother was kind of like sneaking in and giving the the kid water, but then she too kind of turned on him. Um, So they're telling, they're telling the ministry team this story. And apparently the father, according to this pastor, he ends up accepting Jesus and becomes a Christian too, as they're confronting him about what has happened here. Um, And so you have this really delicate situation. Now the kid is hospitalized. They're trying to get him to recover from what unfolded. And now you have this profession from the father that he is, you know, that he has found faith. And, And, you know, you've got some questions about that, of course, and we don't have all the details. This is sort of like telephone, right? You're finding this, this story out, but, but yeah, I mean that the remarkable part is that apparently at least one person in this family has also joined this teenager in finding Christ. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Um, And, you know, we know Uganda, there's some issues there and there have been for a while now. What's the general persecution dynamic there? Yeah. You know, we often talk about the world watch list, which ranks the countries where it's hardest to be a Christian. Uganda, it's interesting. Persecution has slightly worsened in the past year. Uh, but the nation actually falls outside of the top 50. The World Watch List generally ranks the top 50 worst countries for persecution. Right now, Uganda is number 69 on that list. Uh, but violence against Christians there is commonplace. It is a majority Christian country, and we see this happen often. Um, according to Voice of the Martyrs, they're majority Christian, but radical Islam's influence continues to grow there. And so even though Christianity is the dominant force there, you have situations, especially um, where there are pockets of Islam, where there is severe persecution there in Uganda. And so this would be an example of of that. And you just think about this poor kid being locked up for four months. I mean, thank goodness this ministry team came to that house, right? Yeah. And, you know, I mean, we got to be praying for that father 
and for that whole family because they were willing to potentially kill their kid right over this, over leaving Islam. And now there's real hope that they could actually have spiritual transformation. So it's, it's a crazy situation. Yeah. And I mean, it just shows that worldviews matter because look at what they're willing to do with their own child. As you said, that is really, really shocking stuff. I mean, what do you, what do you get as the key takeaway here from this story? Yeah, I think a couple of key takeaways. The first is that this is super complicated, right? This ministry team, the father convinced them, and I know there'll be a lot of different opinions on this, not to take legal action right now, right? Because technically, this obviously, this family should be, the, the police should be called, this should be dealt with. And so they're trying to navigate, what do we do? We have this professing father now who's become a Christian, and he deserves punishment, and yet they have not yet reported this apparently to authorities. And so you've got that going on. They're trying to figure out how to navigate that. But I think it shows, I mean, the cost of being a Christian. We talk about this often on the show around the world. I mean, it can mean your life. It can mean your family. And, you know, this is a 17 year old. When I was 17, I think, you know, what, what would I have done? Right. And so it's just, I, I think it's an eye opening reminder that the world is, you know, many times in horrific shape, depending on where you are. We, we may not experience that here, but um, we've got to be thankful for what we have here in this country, the freedom we have. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, this recent conversion, despite that, really, I've seen many stories where someone comes to faith and then they own up to something that they did, a crime. Um, no matter how severe it might be, and they're going to face potentially prison time because they say, you know what, I'm a Christian now. And in spite of this faith that I have, that that doesn't make me like clear of everything that I've done in the past. I still have to pay for the things that I've done. And so therefore, I'm going to turn myself in. So we'll see how it goes in this particular case. But it seems like that shouldn't be a get out of jail free card, right? And you should still own up to what you've done. And if we look at God, God, the, the reason we have a uh, punishment for sin is because God is just, and he wouldn't be a just God if he didn't punish things that deserve punishment. And so um, that's the whole reason we have Christ going to the cross, because we need to make things right, so to speak. And God did that um, by paying for our sins through Jesus on the cross. So, um, you know, hopefully we'll be praying for that situation, but... Um, but it's not a get out of jail free card. No, no, it's not. And and I think that's where you know, they were asking for prayer because they weren't, it didn't seem like they were saying we're not going to hold them accountable, but it, like right now we want to get, we want to get the kid yeah. better and then figure out how to proceed here. So it's uh yeah, something to be praying for, for sure. For sure. We'll definitely be doing that. Billy, thanks for bringing that story today to the podcast. Appreciate it. All right. We are going to head to the main thing now in the federal trade commission recently launched another antitrust lawsuit against Amazon. They're claiming that the tech firm is illegally maintaining a monopoly power and they're trying to break it up. And Yela Swaski, deputy director of the Consumer Choice Center, talked to Madison Seals today about the ideology behind the lawsuit and where he sees it going. That's today's main thing. Yael, thanks for joining me and bringing this lawsuit to people's attention. I, like probably most Americans, rely on Amazon for things I can't find anywhere else or afford anywhere else. The company has 200 million consumers worldwide, and many of them subscribe to Amazon Prime so they get faster shipping, free returns, streaming, and access to Prime Day that's actually coming up next week, I believe. 
But these things I just mentioned are part of what the Federal Trade Commission considers harmful. So, Yael, tell me more about what the FTC is alleging in this lawsuit and its overall goal. So this is the second lawsuit that the FTC has filed against Amazon in just uh, the last couple of months. The first one dealt with Prime subscriptions and generally whether that was too difficult to do. Uh, Yes, they can actually launch a lawsuit on that point. Uh, This one is much larger. This is likely one of the largest antitrust lawsuits that has been filed by the FTC. And they're going specifically after Amazon, like you mentioned, for maintaining monopoly power. They argue illegally. And I want to talk about Lena Khan, who is behind this lawsuit. She's the chair of the Federal Trade Commission, and she's long criticized Amazon's dominance in the market. Why is she in particular going after Amazon so hard? So Lena Khan has had her eyes set on Amazon for a long time. Even when she was in law school, she was at Yale Law School. She wrote a paper. It was actually called Amazon's Antitrust Paradox, in which she lays out a hypothetical case against Amazon and what she would use as legalistic argumentations to maintain that Amazon is a monopoly. Now, granted, she wrote this, you know, something like six years ago, but now she has the power. She has the reins of government. She was appointed to her position as head of the Federal Trade Commission by Joe Biden. And even though she is uh, the same age as, as me, you know, she's a millennial with a lot of power, she's actually able to use a lot of resources to put this lawsuit together. So I would say her her school of thought when it comes to antitrust and law is something that we refer to as neo-brandyism. So it's, it's sort of a, a Supreme Court justice um, from the late 40s, early 50s. The idea was that government should use its power to break up private companies that they believe are too powerful. And what we're seeing with Lena Khan and many other agencies that are at the whim of Joe Biden and this administration is that return to that type of thinking that government should be there to protect American consumers from monopolies or what the government considers monopolies. That's why you see trials against Google. You see actions to stop Microsoft from purchasing other companies and the same with Meta. So this is a a larger discourse and ideology that is sort of all around the Biden administration at the moment. Yeah. And you mentioned Microsoft. That was uh, another con lawsuit that actually failed recently. So do you think that this vision of what constitutes a monopoly is outdated? Well, the problem with the case that so far the FTC has brought and many of the other actions so far under Chair Khan is that they take antitrust and they look at market concentration as the main metric. In the past, when we look at antitrust, we would look at consumer prices. Was there only one gas station in town who was hiking prices? Or are there a plethora of gas stations around town so that consumers can choose and can go to the gas station that will have the cheaper prices? We're in this strange paradigm now where many of the products and services we use are digital, they use technology, and sometimes some of these other tech products, we don't actually don't pay with our money, we pay with our data. And the measurement of consumer prices is something that Amazon really at the outset would win because everyone knows the cheapest prices are on Amazon. Amazon maintains a lot of algorithms to ensure the products listed there are the cheapest on Amazon as compared to any other website, platform, or store online. So that is the metric that has been used in antitrust for 
a very long time, and that is being changed now under this new FTC and really under all of the Biden administration for looking at companies, monopoly power, corporate power. For them, it has nothing to do with are consumers paying more or are they paying less? It's more about how powerful is this company? And again, that's very hard to measure. It's very hard to come up with. Amazon itself, we think it's the largest you know, site all, all over the world. And, but in the U.S., you know, online sales are only 13% of all retail sales. Most Americans still shop at the store at physical brick and mortar shops. And Amazon, out of all the e-retailers, is only 37%. A lot of people still use eBay or they use Etsy or they use Walmart.com or Target. There's a plethora of different options. So there is a lot of robust competition. Prices are low. That's why a lot of analysts, including myself, we really find it's going to be a difficult case for the FTC to proceed with. Yeah. And I want to talk more about the consumer here, because even though that's something that the government isn't necessarily considering in this lawsuit, there is an element of consumer rights here. Amazon is a massive organization, but so is its consumer base. I mentioned earlier that the company has 200 million consumers worldwide. And you point out in your article that Amazon's approval rating is almost as high as the U.S. military at 72 percent. This lawsuit alleges that Amazon is hurting consumers, but you say it's actually the government that's hurting consumers with this lawsuit. So where do consumers stand in all of this? I think we definitely have to look at the polls and we have to look at those sales because consumers are very happy with Amazon. And what is unique about Amazon, and we've had online shops for a long time, is it has this prime membership. And the prime membership, as we mentioned before, allows you faster delivery cheaper delivery. It also allows that bundled package where you can get online video streaming, you get data storage, uh, you're able to use it at Whole Foods if you happen to have one in your neighborhood. That is something that consumers like, that they're drawn to. And it's something that's very similar at stores like Costco or Sam's Club. It's what stores do to attract people for the long term. Amazon has done that very well. And unfortunately, with this lawsuit, aims to threaten is that entire membership. There are certain parts of the complaint that the FTC wrote that goes after membership programs, and they say that Amazon has been able to monopolize that, and they use a lot of uh, this similar language. So that is something that is being considered as monopolistic by the FTC. Again, for if you're just a normal Amazon customer, you use your Prime, uh, that means that their goal is to break it up to break up what Prime offers and to make it so that you're not going to have those low prices and all of those different options. It's it's a very difficult game because we're talking about ideology at the same time we're talking about business and business practices. Uh, but what we can really see here is this is an attempt to break up Amazon, ideally split it up into 12 different companies. That's what the FTC chair Lena Khan has said. Uh, and it'll really be up to the judge and to the lawyers in the case to speak on behalf of consumers and say that is not something that we want. Right. Consumers have already voted with their wallets and continue to vote with their wallets when it comes to Amazon services. So, Yael, thanks again for following this. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Madison. All right, Madison, appreciate that. And this is a tough one, Billy, because it's one of those deals where I'm probably not personally going to agree with a lot of Amazon's politics or whatever else they come up with behind the scenes on their views. But I like getting stuff delivered to my door a lot. So I'm not sure what to do about that. Yeah. I mean, 
I just, I order 30 things a day, so I'm in no <laughs> position to say anything yeah. negative about Amazon. Yeah, uh, I'm pretty but much yeah, yeah. It's an interesting one. It is it interesting. Is. We'll see how it plays out. Appreciate Madison bringing that one to the table today. All right, we are going to head over to the one last thing for it today. And First Peter 2.9 is what we're going to take a look at. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. And I just love that because it's nothing we did. It's nothing Abraham did. It's nothing the disciples did. They weren't particularly special in any way other than the fact that God decided to choose us for his royal, royal priesthood. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think, you know, resting resting in that, and it reminds us God always has a plan no matter what happens. Yep, absolutely. All right. Hey, we made it through Monday. The week is off to a roaring start. We're glad you joined us for it to kick it off, getting through the news of the cray here. And Lord willing, in that creek don't rise, we're going to be back here tomorrow with more. As always, make sure you get on over to cbnnews.com, faithwire.com for more news from a Christian perspective. God bless. See you tomorrow. Okay.